Praise the Lord. If you open your Bibles with me, and uh, last week we were just talking about the coming year. I spoke prophetically about a number of trends, a number of things we would see uh, happening in our lives and in the church this year. And uh, trust you, if you haven't, weren't there and didn't get that message, why don't you get that message and uh, just start to uh, pr- listen to the, the things I've shared with you, and uh, there'll be some in there that really speak to you and say, that's me, that's me. I know God's talking to me about that. Here's something else God's talking I want to talk today about making room for God. Making room for God in your life. Because if God's doing some things, you need to make some room. How many need you know you need to make some room for, uh, for the new things? That means you've got to get rid of some of the old things. So if we're going to make room for God, I want to share with you some practical keys how you can make room for God this year. If you want to end the year the same as you ended last year, just carry on the same way you are. But if you want next year to be another, a greater year, I was, I was talking with someone in the, in the entranceway, and, uh, and I said, man, it was a great year last year. He said, oh, this year's a better year. I, I like that. That's good, isn't it, eh? That was Connie. And uh, Connie, so I don't know how many years now, but boy, that's when they're in their 70s, and they say, it's a great year, better year this year. I like that. That's good, isn't it? That's a good attitude. Now, I want to just share with you, start by way of introduction. I want you to have a look here in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and it says here that, uh, and this is talking about the birth of Jesus, and Mary, that she, Mary, brought forth the firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. There's an amazing thing, one of the most important events in history. The God who created the world, created people, designed us to live in relationship with him. And here he is about to enter the world. And, and there's an opportunity for someone who owns a hotel, owns a, an accommodation place. Mary and Joseph turn up there. The greatest event of mankind that's been promised for centuries is about to take place. And there's no room in that man's place. Notice you don't find out the name of the guy who had no room in his place. There's no mention made that this was the man who had no room when God wanted to move and do something. One of the ways to ensure from God's perspective you remain insignificant is that you make no room for him to work in your life. You notice that the men in the Bible all had this thing in common. It's not that they were great men. It's not that they were clever men. It's not that they had characters necessarily better than anyone else. It is this factor. They made room for God. That's what made the difference. That's what made them stand out. Ordinary men stood out in their day because they made room for God and his plans in their life. And so I want to ask you this. What room are you planning to make for God in your life this year that's different to last year? What room are you planning to make? Let's have a look at a woman in the Bible who made room for God. And when she made room for God, uh, as we'll see a little later, uh, she got something unexpectedly good happened to her. Unexpectedly good happened to her. Find it in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4, here it is. And uh, let's read up. Here it is. It's about a woman. Here it is, verse 8. And uh, it came to pass on a certain day that Elisha... Now, you've got to have to understand that Elisha carried the presence of God. The Spirit of God rested on him. He was anointed by the Spirit of God. If you wanted to hear God talking, you went to him. He actually had direct communication with God. Of course, today, God wants to speak to every person. But in the the Old Testament times, God would work on specific people. This man was anointed. The Spirit of God came on him. We know God was on him. You look at the list of miracles he did, including raising people from the dead, the multiplication of food. Extraordinary miracles were done. God was upon him. So when we're looking at Elisha, actually, we're looking at God coming through a person to speak into the world. And this woman, and notice what it says about this woman, says there was... 
was a woman and she constrained him to come in for a meal and eat bread. And it was so as often as he passed by, he turned in there and to eat bread. And she said to her husband, behold, now I perceive this is a holy man of God, which is passing by us continually. Let us make a little room or let us make a, a little chamber or a room, a special room. I ask you on the wall and let us set from there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes to us that he will turn in and stay there. Now, this is different to the man who owned the pub. The man who owned the pub had no spiritual perception. He had no understanding that God moves and you need to be receptive and open to God moving. There was no understanding in him of spiritual things. This woman was quite different. Not only was she perceptive, she was able to recognize what God was doing. When she saw Elisha, she saw him not just as an ordinary man. She recognized that God worked on this man. She recognized this man carried the presence of God in his life in a tangible way. She recognized, The Bible says she perceived. That word perceive means to have a knowledge in your heart or to uh, become acquainted with someone, become intimately acquainted with them. In other words, there was a revelation in a heart. That's a man of God. And if I make him welcome in my place, there's surely a blessing going to come to me. You understand her thinking. First of all, she was perceptive to what God was doing. Secondly, there was great hunger in her heart. She wanted the presence of God in her home and life. And thirdly, she was prepared to pay the price for this to happen. She recognized, she wanted, and then she was willing to pay the price. And that meant making adjustments to a house or to her lifestyle. I want you to think about this. If you recognize that God is wanting to touch and work in your life this year, if you recognize that the Spirit of God over the last year worked through us, we saw people healed, we saw people delivered, we saw people touched in different nations, we saw money generated for all kinds of things, we saw a whole number of things happen last year. If you perceive that God is here working here, then the question is, do you have desire for Him to do things in your life? And are you willing to pay the price and adjust your life so it can happen in you? The one thing you don't want is get the end of next year and be hearing that God touched and worked in many other lives, but nothing happened in your life. You don't want to get the end of the year and we ask you, well, tell us what God did during this year. And you say, well, didn't do anything, but someone else told me something great. We had some people last year had tremendous testimonies of marriage and family and personal life totally changed because they made God welcome in their life. You need to start to talk to some of them. So what will happen in your life this year? Well, you see, the thing about this woman was she had a desire for God to come into her house, to stay there, and she was willing to make the adjustments needed. She actually renovated the house so this guy could come in, or literally she made a room in her house. Now, to make a room in your house, that means you've got to knock something down, you've got to build something up, you've actually got to pay a price for that. She paid a price to make room for God to work in her life. Now, what she never realized when she paid the price for God to come in or for the Spirit of God to come into her home and her family and her marriage, what she never realized was exactly what that would mean down the other end. All she had was a hunger for God and a willingness to make adjustments in her life. And that's the thing I want to ask you. Are you do you have a hunger for God? Are you willing to make adjustments in your life? Notice what she said here. It said she constrained him to come in. In other words... The prophet was going to go by and just walk past to the next place or walk on wherever he's going to go. She compelled him to come in. 
The Bible says she put a demand on him, I want you in my house. God loves it when we put a demand on him, an expectation on him to come and work in our life. He loves it when we do that. In fact, there's a story where Jesus uh, uh, had appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it says that he, he looked as though he was going to walk past them and carry on on his journey, but they made him come into the house, and they had a meal together, and then there was revelation in their lives, and they were turned around and totally changed. See, what they never realized, either the woman or the disciples, when they put a demand and expectancy for God to come into their home and their lives, what the outcome would possibly be. They had no idea what it could be. And the same thing, you don't know what outcomes can come in your life as a result of making room for God. This woman we read of in the Old Testament, turns out this was her problem. She was an older woman and she had no children. She was barren, which was a, a cause of tremendous shame and embarrassment in a Middle Eastern society. And what happened was, as a result of making this man of God welcome, she got a miracle, she got a son. She got an heir for her family line. She got the desire of her heart. She wanted God, but got the desire of her heart as well. See, what the disciples wanted, they wanted Jesus to come in, and what they got was an, a launching off into their destiny, and they became apostles that touched the world. See, you never know when you make room for God what the outcome will be at the other end. You've just got to take the first step, and that is to make room and be willing to adjust your life for God to come in. Think about that. Interesting. Now, you find all over the Bible when people made room for God, they had no idea what would happen as a consequence of it. And that's the element of faith. That's the element of risk. That's the element that makes it so interesting. When Moses stopped to see what God was doing, when he saw the burning bush and it burnt, lots of bushes burnt, but this one burnt and it never consumed. He said something strange about that. When he stopped to see what God was doing, he never realized his career as a shepherd was over and he was going to launch out into a ministry to deliver Israel out of, out of uh, Egypt. You just don't know when God touches your life just exactly how deep and lifelong lasting the impact can be. But you need to do what the, each of these people did. They had a desire, they actually made room, and they paid the price to adjust their life. Think about that. You need to be willing to do the same things. Now, let me share with you a few things that may help you in making room for God. Now, they're extremely practical because most things with God are very, very practical. If it's not practical, I can't do it. I don't like to be inspired and don't know what to do. Anyway, let's have a look. So I want to give you six. I may get through them today, I may not. But anyway, I want to give you six things which are ways. They're not the only ways, but there are ways, uh, there are actions you can take that position you for God to start to move in a fresh way. And uh, we need to have some practical things that we can do. And I'm trusting that you will, uh, all of us as a church, going to position ourselves for God to move. How many of you know last year we began with a, a fast, a three-week fast at the beginning of the year? Yeah, and, and how many recognize over the year a lot of things happened that were quite notable last year. Quite an amazing number of things happened. So I believe setting the year up by spending time coming near and drawing near to God is a wonderful way of positioning ourselves. So here, let me give you a few of them. Number one, number one, make relationship with Jesus your first priority. Make your relationship with Jesus your first priority. Now, lots of other priorities, lots of other things. Life pulls on us. How many had a busy season just recently? How many found just before Christmas incredibly busy? How many, how many found that a lot of the rest of your year was very busy too? Doesn't seem to ever get less, does it? Seems to get more and more and more. And uh, so things press on us all the time. Now notice what you see. I want to share with you two uh, verse related to this. And John 3 verse 16. 
Now, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The first thing we need to see is why I should build a relationship with Jesus. The Bible tells us God loves us. He loves you. He dreams about you. He created you. And he not only created you to come into this world at a certain time in history, he created you for a unique purpose. There is absolutely no one like you in the world. Not one. Now, I don't know about you, but you go down to some of the shops and you buy clothes. You notice that some of the clothes, if you've been down to Hellenstein's, you buy some clothes from there and uh, you go down the road, oh, there's someone wearing the same thing. And suddenly the value of that item now suddenly gone down. You notice you can usually buy it quite cheap there. But if you happen to go to a, 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 a place where they design and make clothes, you have to pay a lot more, more money to get your clothes. But the one thing you know, and this is important for a woman, there's no one's got an outfit like this. So you turn up there, I know when it comes to weddings, and there's no way Sophie's going down and she's going to go into shop, she's going to say, well, just anyone off the rack, just one of those ones will do. No way, someone else will have had that one. I know what you'll be thinking, I'll make a good one that they haven't seen before. Unique. There's something about it unique. Now, what you need to understand is that when things are mass-produced, of course, they don't have so much value because they're all alike. But when they're designer-made, they cost you a lot more because only one of them. And you pay for there being only one of them. Now, listen to this. God made you unique. There's only one of you. And if there's only one of you, you've got to be of great value because you're designer-made. Designer made, unique, you've got unique fingerprints, unique DNA, unique gifting, you've got a unique destiny, and you have a unique call of God around your life. You are definitely unique, there's no one like you. And you're of immense value to God. And so because you're of great value to God, God has, before he even thought of bringing you into the world, he had something for you to do. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ to good works that we would walk in them even before the world began. God thought about something for you to do. So before you came into being, God had something for you to do. He had a purpose. He had something for you to put your hand to that would fulfill your life. Listen, without God in our life, without a relationship with God, how can we find meaning for our life? How can you actually rise above all the busyness of everything and have a sense my life is captivated by an eternal purpose without a connection with God. There's no one you can go to that can give it to you. You've actually got to find it from within and from above by connecting with the one who designed you. See, everyone is unique in that way. So what happens is we tend to ignore our uniqueness, want to be like the crowd, And instead of going to God and discovering our uniqueness and valuing our uniqueness and drawing on his value for us and then fulfilling our unique purpose, we just want to copy others. And often churches know better. People come and they just want to copy. They want to look like, speak like, and act like everyone else. When God has made you an individual, unique. And pressure, the pressure of people will tend to crush you so you conform to what everyone wants rather than actually discovering your uniqueness. What a terrible thing. Get the end of your life and look back and you never did what God put in your heart to do. That's a tragedy. It's a waste of something that was unique in the world. So when God brings people into the world, he already has planned for them something for them to accomplish. And you can never discover that something to accomplish unless you entrust your life to him 
and begin to listen to him. So the Bible says, God so loved the world. He loves people. He designed people unique. He designed you uniquely. And this is what it says, that whoever would believe in him. See? So God, that word believed is, oh, yeah, I can believe in Jesus. No, no, that word believe means I, I entrust my life to walk with him. I'm listening to him. His words become a reference point for my life. I listen to his spirit speaking to me. It becomes the reference point for my decision making. If you don't have God and an eternal perspective, you're living for a temporal thing. You're living for now and you're living subject to the pressures of fashion and the people around you. God wants you to be bigger than that. He wants you to understand you're unique. Now, write Danny. No one like Danny. No one I know like Danny. And I love Danny like he is. See? You need to realize that. See, everyone's unique. But you see, what happens is because we're, se- we're born separated from God, we tend to become submerged in trying to find our identity through things. I've got things, therefore I'm important. But life isn't about things. Yeah, or we want a role. I want a position. I want a position in the community, position in church, position somewhere so people admire me. So that's not what life is about. Life is not about having a position. Life is not, uh, but you don't define your life by what you own or where you stand or, or, or your position in society. You define your life and success in your life. Am I connected to God, my source, my creator, and am I walking in what he's planned for me to do? You could end up doing great things in the end. Fine, you never did the things God wanted you to do. So what kind of success eternally is that? God so loved you, he sent his only son. You see, when God saw that man had become separated and purposeless, uh, no purpose, no direction, cut off by sin, cut off and separated, running life without him, he invaded the earth. He sent Jesus into the earth in order that we might be reconnected to God through a relationship with him and then walk with him. That's why Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Because you can't find life in things. You can't find life in your relationships. You find a measure of support, but even relationships fail you. But he said, life is found in discovering a relationship with God. This is eternal life, that they know you and the one you sent. That's where life is found. It's not found in the things you think it's found in. The world brings a tremendous pressure to make you focus on what doesn't last for eternity. And you bury your life in it, then it's all gone. You only had one life to live. Let's make our life count in 2007. Let's make it count. And the first place to make it count is in your relationship with the Lord. There's a story in the Bible in uh, Luke chapter 10, I think it is. Or uh, Let me see if I get the reference right. If you just put it up there. It's in uh, Luke chapter 10, 39 to 42. And there's two women, one's Martha, one's Mary. Both were acquainted with Jesus. Both were friends of Jesus. But when Jesus came into the home, when there was an opportunity to personally be directed and taught and instructed by him, one made the right decision. The other got caught up in the busyness and had no room to listen to him. I wonder which one we are. Which one were you in the last year? I know for, for, for so many in the church, you actually were like Mary. You actually came along to seminars and things we organized and you started to rework your life. So you started to hear from God and you became in that regard like Mary. Now, it's not an either or thing here uh, that we just sit there and listen to Jesus all the time. No, but the Bible says there's one thing needful. Just what Jesus said, this is the priority. You need to be directed by him in your life. If he isn't directing you, what is? The crowd? Fashion? 
Money? Power? Possession? What is directing your life? What will direct your life in this year is what you're listening to. So begin to think, the first thing I need to do is reprioritize my life around my relationship with Christ. Now often in the summertime, people sort of kind of let it all slack and let it go. I encourage you tomorrow, when you get up, start tomorrow, get up, have a time with the Lord, begin to strengthen your prayer life, spend, start to begin to get a plan for how you're going to read the Word of God, begin to spend time listening to God, and starting to begin to refocus your life around having an eternal perspective for this year. You can do it. Later on this uh, month, we'll have a season of fasting for about three weeks. We have a prophet coming in in February, and I want us to be in a place of prayer and expectation. I want us to be sharp. Eh? Too much laying around the sun makes you dull. It makes you rested, but you become dull. You've got to sharpen up again. So this is a good time to sharpen up. Tell someone next to you, time for you to sharpen up again. Sharpen up. Sharpen up. Okay, so one way that we make room for God is by establishing a time to pray, to talk with Him, to listen to His Word. We make room in our life for Him. Here's another way you can make room for God. Now, there's a lot of ways you can make room for God. Here's one way you can make room for God, and that is by setting clear faith goals. So how can that make room for God? Listen, a person who's got no direction in their life, no clear goals, is going nowhere. You've given God nothing to work with. Nothing. You see, uh, God has designed us to accomplish things. So no one's ever happy if they're just slacking around. You notice that when people are unemployed, unoccupied, their character gets, it just deteriorates to the point where they can hardly even work a full day. The, the reason for that is simple. We're not made to sit around doing nothing. We are designed for relationship, and we're designed for meaningful tasks, meaningful, purposeful activities. You're designed for that. When, when, when God saw, put Adam in the, uh, in the garden, he said, number one, it's not good for him to be alone. So he made a companion, made him for a relationship. And number two, what he, made, he gave him a job to do. See, work's good. I know it's a four-letter word, but it's good. Say, it's a four-letter word, but it's good. Work is good. You're designed to do something. You're designed to accomplish something. And in fact, your life will be terribly meaningless if you don't. I noticed when we were in Dannyvirk, farmers would come off the farm. You know, they'd be working on the farm for years and years and years, come off the farm, get into town. And as soon as they got into town, about two years later, they're starting to, their health's failing. And, they begin, and then two, three years, four years, they die. I thought, well, this is strange. It became quite a well-known thing. Oh, they, he just died. You know, he retired off the farm two, three years ago. And I thought, well, I wonder what the connection is between them letting go meaningful work and then sitting down doing nothing. And obviously, health is affected by that in some kind of way. And we're designed to do something. Designed. So set some clear goals. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. That word vision is a word prophetic insight. Where there's no prophetic unfolding. Where there's no unfolding by God what you're called to do. Where God is not continually speaking, it says the people perish or the people dwell naked or dwell carelessly. Basically, it means this. If you have no clear vision and clear steps to get there, you will miss opportunity after opportunity, and certainly you make no room for God. I have discovered that as we step out and begin to stretch ourselves every year, that what happens is God comes in and does what we can't do. He requires you to do what you can. Don't just sit around waiting to do nothing. Set some clear goals for the coming year. Now, how do you set faith goals? Faith goals are a little different from just ordinary goals. Faith goals come out of prayerful consideration before God, what I should prioritize my life on. In other words, you pray and you start to think, what is really important? What should I really accomplish this year? 
and write it down. If you don't write it down, it'll never happen. Just the very act of writing it down brings something specific into being, sets you up to start to succeed. Your whole inner man, once you set a clear goal, will start to look at how you can get there. And God loves you to set out a plan. That is what the Bible tells you. God has a person. God plans before you got on the scene. He didn't wait till you get born and thought, oh no, what do I do with them now? They've arrived. And no, no one even wanted them to arrive. He didn't think like that, you know. Perhaps you were surprised to your parents and just turn up out of nowhere. Oops, uh, hello, there's a baby. We didn't expect that baby. The baby's arrived. Now, you see, that may have been a tragedy for your parents' sake and for your sake, but listen, it wasn't for God's point of view. He already knew how you'd come into this world, and he had a plan that would take that into account. He designed something for you to accomplish. So if we're going to discover what God did, we've got to talk with him, and then we've got to actually try and put it down in specific things. And a lot of that is found, you're not by listening in God, just give me an instruction, I don't know what to do. Now listen, start to search the desires of your heart. Start to search the dreams of your heart. Most people's life, you can break it up into just about a half a dozen areas. Your spiritual life, your walk with God, your relationships, your family, marriage, family, your, your, um, your character what you're like as a person, your finances, your work situation, and then you're serving God. And that just about covers your whole life. So you just take it and put those six, seven headings down and start to think, well, what do I see it like being at the end of this year? How will I have changed? How will I be grown? What, what needs to happen? What do I need to start to pray over it? And things you'll have in your heart as you wait before the Lord, write them down, write them down. Don't be unrealistic, write them down and make sure there's a stretch in it. And then once you've done that, then you begin to pray over it. Just keep looking at it again. It's a very basic principle of success in life. You want to succeed, you've got to take specific steps there, even the very little steps. See, you don't become a great man of God just by praying about it. You actually have to do something. You never become great financially, hoping it'll happen, or buying lotto tickets. You've got to plan and walk your way through your plan to get there. So young people, you need to be planning something this year. What are you planning? See, for some of you, you may be planning something financially. You think, well, I don't have much money. Listen, you've got heaps of money. It's just you don't plan what you're going to do with it, so it goes. Someone else has got a plan for your money. Mr. McDonald's got a plan for your money. It's called the burger plan. It's designed to make you lose control of your money. Huh? i got to have a burger. See, it's always something like that. See, there's something, someone else has got a plan for you. You know, there'll be someone down there and you walk in the shop and it'll be three years interest free. No first payment till halfway through the year. They've got a plan for your money. See, if you don't have another plan, that plan's going to look real good. That big LCD TV looks real good. It does look real good. You'll keep going back to the shop and then you bought it. Now, someone else has got a plan for your money and you're subject to their plan. You've got to really think where you're going. Come on now. I'm concerned at the number of reports I hear of people getting into credit card debt. That's bad. That's a 20% interest bad. We don't need that. That's stealing away your financial base. So we're going to do some things this year to help people just financially, to help you to start to think through and get ways of managing your money. If you can't manage your money, you haven't managed your life. Because your life is your money. Your money is your life in a, in a physical, tangible form. So you've got to think about how to manage it. How many, some people here can't save a cracker. It's not they don't get money. It's just they don't know how to manage it. Because they never set a goal. Never set a goal. 
Maybe even, I've noticed with some young people, they've got no money till the day they say that they're going on a missions trip and they begin to work towards it. Suddenly jobs come, opportunities come, gifts come. Next thing you know, they're out in the mission field, cost them two and a half thousand dollars. Where'd the money come from? Well, they had a clear plan. And the money comes to the vision. See? So you've got to start to think, have some clear goals, have something set out. Uh, some of you are getting near an age where you're looking, uh, where your children are growing up, they're going to need educating. You need to think about what you're going to do to help them. Oh, well, I've done my bit, they're off my hands. And that's a terrible attitude. Start to think what you could do. Start to plan. Plan, 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 plan. Okay, we've got some idea now. That makes room for God to move. If you've got no plans, how can God bless your plans? So the Bible says, commit your way to the Lord. In all, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your plans or direct your paths. So if you don't have any plans and things you've set out, how can God bless them and help you to get there? He doesn't. So you've made no room for God when you've made no plans. So we want to make room for God? Get a prayer life established where you're in the Word of God and in prayer. We'll talk a little more during the year about how to build a strong prayer life, a powerful prayer life, how to spend time in the Word of God. These are things to look at and help you with. But also you need to set some plans. No plans, you're making no room for God in your life. Okay, here's another one then. Very, very simple. And a uh, uh, simple example is another one here. Uh, you've got to learn to speak. If you want to make room for God to move in your life, it's an interesting thing that words, words, you've got to learn to speak life-giving words. See, one of the things that's interesting I've noticed is that words, the first use of words in the Bible was to create something. The first words you hear spoken in the Bible, when you read the Bible, look at the first words. And God said, let there be light. In other words, God used words to create. Now, you may think up some things, but what actually sets it in motion is when you start to talk about it. So you can have a lot of dreams and be just a dreamer, but once you've got a plan and start to talk about your plan now, you begin to start to bring it into reality. The Bible says in Proverbs, it tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue has power to direct your life. Now you're talking all the time, whether you realize it or not. You're either talking out loud or you're talking into yourself. One way or the other, you're talking all the time. One way or the other, there's thoughts are going on, there's a noise inside you all the time. Some people even have iPods and they increase the noise. Make it incessant and pounding. I, I can't stand the things to tell the truth. I admire all this technology, but I like to have a quietness in my head where I can have my own thoughts, not the thoughts someone else has. If I'm going to have music playing in there, I want music that will actually build up my inner man and cause me on the inside to become strengthened and to wake up positive and to wake up thinking about God, wake up thinking about a good future. So you've got to put the right kind of words in. Okay? So words have power to create. Death is in them. Now, of course, one of the things you'll decide, one of the things you're going to find, and we'll see this, is that the moment you begin to start to talk out, well, this is what I'm going to do, the moment you begin to declare what you're going to do, the moment you begin to speak, you're declaring a fight. You see, because the moment you start to speak out, something will happen around you. Words have power. Jesus said, the words I speak are spirit. So your words have power to create an atmosphere around you. You get in some homes, they're critical, they're negative. There's an oppressive, negative atmosphere. Demonic spirits fill the place. It's a hard place to grow up and be healthy. See, but when you get in an atmosphere where, which has been created by words, you know, positive words, uh, words of appreciation or gratitude, is when you thank someone, you appreciate them, you improve their value. Words have power to change people. Words of encouragement, words of love, words of counsel, words that correct. 
There's many ways you can use words, but words are essential to build up people. People starve because of no words. They starve emotionally and they starve in their soul. If there's no words, they can latch on. How often, I guess if I was to ask you here, how many of you could remember words that were like a cursing spoken over your life? They got into you and they hurt you and you never forgot it. Usually words by a father or a mother or a teacher particularly. Teachers are terrible at doing that sometimes. They speak words, you know, and that, that word becomes something that rings in the heart of the child. And it's like the rest of their life, that thing's planned. And it's like a message planned to them all the time. So God uses words. The Bible says he watches over his words. So we should watch over our words too. Speak words that we mean. Speak words that will keep an honor. It's a real challenge. It's very hard to keep words. Very hard. One of the greatest challenges of your character you'll find is to keep your word. Is to keep your word and to speak words that are words of life. So think about that, words of life. Speak words that impart life, words of encouragement. And young people just love words. Uh, I just love the way uh, Kate is raising up Georgia because, you know, often little kids, they get feelings, they, <coughs> they yell, you know, they don't know, because they haven't got words to say. And I, know, I just really take my hat off to an admirer. She's taught Georgia to say words about how she feels. That's really good when you're a young child of about two, three, and you can say, I feel frustrated. I feel this. I know guys that are up near 60, and they can't say what they feel. They say it by slamming the door. Kick the cat. They haven't learned to speak words. Words are very, very important. So, you see, when we speak words now, you can speak the words of God. When you start to take God's words and speak God's words over your life, you begin to release the Spirit of God to move supernaturally to bring it about. You'll find one of the keys to being a man or woman of faith is you don't just hear God's words, you learn to speak them over your life. I am blessed. My family is blessed. We walk in the blessing of our God. See, there's words that you can speak that will actually release something in the heavens to bring about their fulfillment. You've got to learn to do that. So notice what it tells us. It tells us in Hebrews 10 verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Let us hold fast or let us get a strong grip and speak words that acknowledge what we really believe. Do you believe God's in charge? Do you believe God works all things out for good? If you love him in a call, do you believe it? Well, see, some do. But the rest complain when things go wrong. Not realizing that God is interested in the journey. And he may have spoken great things to you, but he is actually using the journey to make you the kind of person you need to be to accomplish that. So you notice, for example, Joseph. Now, Joseph had a dream. He was a dream. He had a dream from God, a great dream. It was a dream of being a great leader. And a leader was, so, it was such influence, his whole family would acknowledge him, even though he's the youngest. What a great dream he had, a dream of being a leader. Now, what he never realized when God said, you're going to be a leader. He said, yay, God. The one thing he forgot to ask, how are you going to do it? And if God had said, well, shortly there'll be a jealousy come up with your brothers and uh, you'll tell them about what you're going to be and they'll get all jealous of you and they'll get angry with you and they'll throw you in a pit and tear off your clothes and then what they'll do is they'll sell you off to some slave traders and they'll take you down to Egypt and they'll sell you to Potiphar there and you'll work for nothing there and you'll be a slave in the house and then you get framed for rape and go to prison you help people there and they won't even have any gratitude they'll just leave you there and you'll be there this will all be about 13 years of this you know what Joseph would have said? 
Yeah, forget your plan. I'm happy here where I am, you know. Forget the God plan. <laughs> and I really want the God plan, you know. God's plan's not for me. Hey? Imagine that. Imagine that. When, 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 God, when Moses, you know, and he had this, God spoke to him, put it in his heart to save the people of Israel. He said, yay, I'll do it. Oh, this is a good thing. He never realized he'd end up getting wildly angry when no one acknowledged him, killed someone, then got chased out, become on the run, ran out of the country, ends up in the backside of a desert, lonely for all of those years. Now, if God had told him that bit, do you think he would have done it? Way. He said, no, I'm happy where I am. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone, God. Find someone else. I love your dreams, but the way you get us there is pretty terrible. Come on, think about it. What about David? David, oh, you're going to be a king. Yay. Whoa. They pour the anointing on him. Oh, this is my finest hour. He goes and kills Goliath. Wonderful. Now he's promoted. You see, one thing he'd never ask God was, how are you going to get me to be the king when there's another king there? Oh, he never realized that he again would be framed. He'd be betrayed. His wife would be taken, given to another man. He'd be chased out of town. He'd have a price put on his head. His friends would be killed. Family would all go into captivity. He'd have to go to a foreign land. He'd have to pretend to be a madman. He'd, he'd get this pack of no-hopers and have to train them into be an army. Do you think he would, you know, and then he'd come back and his town's all burned. Do you think if God had told him how it was all going to happen, he'd have been impressed with God's plan? I don't think so. So the thing is, it's recorded that in the midst of troubles, he learned to praise God and thank God. Your words give voice to your faith. Your words give voice to what's in your heart. If you've got negativity in there, then you need to confront it. Your words give it all away. You can pretend to be so sweet and so nice, but your words give you away. Your words will actually expose what the heart condition is like. Words that have got a bite in them. Words that cut down. Words that are critical. All these kind of things. They show what's in the heart. And see, God wants to learn to speak words over our life. When we speak words, we say, well, God is working this out for my good. I believe this is all just going to turn out fine. I'm confident that God is working. When you start to do that, you make room for God to move in your life. The words we speak make room for God. What kind of words are you speaking? Are you speaking the promises of God? Are you speaking God's blessings? Are you speaking God's ability? That's what will make room. You enjoying that? Uh, Caleb did that. See, everyone else having a moan. And Caleb said, oh, let's go up. We can do it. God is with us. I like that. You need to start to talk like that. We can do it. God is with us. You need a positive attitude that comes out of reflecting on God's faithfulness to you. Okay, here's the last couple. Here's the, third, here's the next one. Uh, 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 cultivate vital relationships. Cultivate vital relationships. See, if we want God to move, there are a number of things we've got to do. Of course, at the core of it all, there has to be a faith, an expectation. And we talked about that right at the beginning, building a relationship with them. But there's some other things you've got to do. You've got to cultivate relationships. You see, one of the things I've learned about God is he just, it's not just me and God. See, lone rangers become weird strangers. Very weird. I found the people have got a me and God. It's me and God. It's me and God. Not the rest of you lot, but me and God. They get weird. They get really weird. They really worry me. I kind of, oh, yeah, you know, because they become bizarre. See, the Bible says, how can you love God that you don't, don't see? You can't love the people in front of you. So we need relationships to keep us balanced. And we also need relationships because you could ask God over and over and over to tell you things, but he speaks to you quietly in your heart. And if you've got blind spot in your heart, you won't see it. So we need 
people around us who can talk to us some things. Notice what this verse here says. Look at this, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpness iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need relationships that are vital and healthy. We need people around us to help us pursue our dreams. See? Now, when you start to declare what you're going to do this year, there'll be some people say, man, I'll help you with that. And others say, who do you think you are? Have you noticed that? The moment you say what you're going to do, there'll be some say, well, I'd love to help you. That's good. And others will say, who do you think you are? What right have you got to do that? That'll never work. Oh, you, you, you can never do that. So, so you'll find that just the very act of actually starting to speak out clear direction in your life. Right? Young people, stand up and say, I'm having no sex before marriage. Say it. And you'll find some say, good on you. Others will say, well, you're, you're nerdy. Whether you're a religious, blah, 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 blah. all of that kind of stuff. Eh? I'm not going to that party. See, you start to make some strong steps. You know what will happen? There will be some say, yeah, I'm with you. I don't want to go either. See, others will say, well, they won't, actually, they won't tell you that in public. They'll come to you privately and tell you that. In public, the crowd mind rules. So you've got to have a strong stand birthed out of your own convictions with God. But, you know, there are people either help you or hinder you. So you'll find if you're going to move forward this year and make room for God, some of your relationships will change. And they need to change. People are like the buttons on a lift. They're either helping you go up or going down one way or the other. It's true. They're really like that. Think about it. Think about it. You're going to lift. There you are. And what are you on? Floor four. Now, some buttons are going up. Five, six, and seven are going up. Push those. You're on your way up. Others are going down. Three, two, one, zero. B1, B2. I don't want to be around B2 people. See, because what happens is the people you hang out with, you'll take on board their attitudes, their negativity, their defeat, whatever. And so what happens is you take it on board and in the end it takes you down where they've decided to settle. And if they're in basement two, very soon you'll be on your way down to basement two. You won't even know it's happening. It just slowly happens. You see, David was a man of faith and he had such an anointing on his life that the men around him all became man of faith and became very courageous. He had such a strength of God in his life, he could pull people up. But not everyone's like David. Okay? Not everyone's like him. We need people that can help us come up. So peer pressure is not just a teenage thing, believe me. Peer pressure is there all your life. It's what the crowd wants. It's what society says. And it always pushes on you. It always does. You've got to make a decision whether you're going to have people around your life that will encourage you to pursue dreams and encourage you to be big. Or say, who do you think you are? Now, one of the difficulties in, in, a, in a region like Hawke's Bay is people tend to think in terms of, you know, what was the past is good, and you shouldn't change. Okay? But actually, we live in an ongoing, moving culture. Anyone who's been around Hawke's Bay the last 20 years can see it's totally changed. Totally changed. And that means you've got to change. See? And so what happens is often we get stuck with people and they don't want to change. They're in a little rut. And when they're like that, they'll keep you there too. You've actually got to be. So what happens? You don't need to cut people off. Some people need to cut off. They're just a bad influence. Some people you need to just, uh, just shorten the amount of time you have with them. Just cut it back a bit. Other people, you need to pursue them that you can have time with them because when you're with them, they switch your lights on and they get you, you come out of there pumped. 
I know some people, I sit with them. The first I feel uncomfortable because I feel them way out here and I really feel like I'm exposed and vulnerable. It's an uncomfortable feeling. And after you've been with them a while, then you start to find you start strengthened on the inside. You start to feel yourself lifted up and you feel the challenge. Go further. Go high. You can do it. You come away. Yes. I like to come away from people like that. Other people, you come away and you feel... I think I just had a wet blanket flown over me. Is that true? Do you know people like that? They won't be your friends this year. Just decide. They're not going to be my close friends. They're not part of my future. They're part of where I come from, but they're not part of the future. See? And you've got to be welcoming into your future. You've got to be welcoming into your life vital relation. Vital means they're they're life-giving. They're healthy. They build you up. They're not dependent relationships. Girls, don't get any dependent, needy guy. You better have no guy than a dependent, needy one. Tell him, grow up, get a life, get some counsel, get some help, become a real man, but don't lean on me. See, you don't need that. You don't need that. And there's so many guys around like that. I can't believe it. Uh, they're looking for someone to lean on. Look at a crutch. You don't want a wife as a crutch. Oh, it's a terrible thing. Drain the life out. See, so you've got to watch out. We'll teach on that a little bit during the year too. I just have a feel God's wanting to really sort out some relational areas. That'd be good, wouldn't it? How could you recognize? You know, when, when you're with people, if it's a vital life-giving relationship, you know what happens? After you've been with them, you are powered up. If it's, if it's a, a, a draining relationship after you're with them, you feel exhausted. Well, I'm going to have a nap. You haven't done anything. You're drained, absolutely drained. So, so, so you need some life-giving relationships. In Acts chapter 9, 26 to 28. Now here's Paul. Now Paul, remember Paul, he was a religious nutter. And he persecuted the church, killed and tortured, all thinking he's doing God a favor. And that's the kind of man he was. Then one day, he had an encounter with God. Woof! And a tremendous encounter with God. Now, some people have dramatic encounters. Some people, they process, it's just a process. They just walk with God and the, the, the relationship gradually deepens. And, and both are valid. There's not one or the other. Paul is such a D-type personality, so convinced he's right, that God just whee, confronts him and whee, off the horse like, horse like that. Now, I got your attention, Paul. You're blind and you can't see and you're off your horse. That's how you get a D-type person's attention. And uh, so he got his attention. And then Paul, of course, now, how does Paul get into the church when everyone knows of a relative he just killed? Have you ever thought about that? They thought about someone there, and they've just persecuted, killed your friends, robbed your house, plundered your house, all that kind of stuff. And now they say they're a Christian? I know what Tui would say. Yeah, right. Can we come into your church? I'm safe now. I'm a believer now. Yeah, right. That's what had happened. He was the biggest yeah, right that they had in that time. So what he needed was a vital relationship to link him. And the Bible says he found it in Barnabas. Barnabas saw and perceived this man had changed. And Barnabas became the connecting point. And through Barnabas, he connected to the apostles. He became one of them. He became a part of them. He went in and out with them. And he grew into his apostolic call. And one day they said, we believe God's on you and Barnabas. And we want to send you to plant churches. Now, you see, room for God to move comes through having good relationships. They're not easy to find. But you need to seek them out. You need to seek them out. Pay the price for it. And uh, there is a price for it. People don't want to pay the price. You pay the price, you connect with people. 
You travel, you buy tapes, you go visit people. You've got to connect with people that can actually lift your energy level and your faith and your vision up. Okay, well, I think we might uh, just leave it there because we come to the end. I'll save these next couple for another time. But here's a, let me just go back over them again. Very, very simple. You have a choice this year whether you make room for God or not. The man who did not perceive that God was even at work made no room for him and missed the greatest opportunity of history. When God came to earth, he put a sign up and said, there's no room. Now, imagine if you were there right now and you knew just exactly who Mary and Joseph were, what would you have done? You'd have gone to someone and say, sorry, your room's taken, you're out. You put them in and now you have a sign up. This is the house where Jesus stayed. Make a heap of money on that one. Just think about that. They're, they're still trying to find that place, but they've got lots of places they call it. They're making money on it. Just think about it. He missed his chance. No room for the Lord. But the other woman, the woman made room for God. She perceived God wanted to do something. She hungered for that. She paid the price and adjusted her life, and she got a miracle. She got a son that she would never have had any other way. We see some of the ways that you can make room for God. Number one, you need to build a relationship with the Lord. You need to start to build a prayer life, build time with him, time in his word, listening to his voice. Second thing we needed to do that would uh, build, uh, make room for God to move, we needed to not only make relationship with the Lord, we needed to develop clear goals, we need to have a plan for our life, because that makes room for God to come and help us. Miracles only come when we've got clear steps that we've laid out. Uh, The third thing is we need to learn to speak life-giving words because God moves where words are spoken. When we came here this morning, we spoke and sang words. It makes an atmosphere for things to happen. Uh, Cultivate vital relationships. Build some relationships that will help you go forward. And if there are relationships draining you, you've got to look at them seriously and say, I love you. You know, I've been friends for a long time, but I'm not going to continue the relationship like it is because this this is not going to help me go where I want to go. Now, you need to figure out a way that you can look at relationships and start to begin to build them in a real strong way. Okay, life-giving words, vital relationships, clear goals, and making a vital relationship with the Lord a priority. When we close our eyes right now.